Hi, this is Billy Briscoe from the Briscoe Group, a minority-owned firm founded right here in Houston. Stuck in a business dispute, injured at work, a bad auto accident. We're standing by day and night ready to fight for you. Put the law on your side with Houston's top legal team. Schedule a free consultation at thebriscoelawfirm.com. Call us at 713-752-2600. Put the law on your side with Houston's top legal team. Because every client matters. Lamb promised. Next Sunday, I want to talk about the lamb prepared. The Sunday after that is the lamb provided. And if the Lord allows us to see Christmas Day, the lamb praised. But I want us to look at the lamb promised. A nerd wallet survey and analysis reports that this year, 2022, $178 billion will be spent on gift giving alone. $178 billion will be spent on gift giving alone not to mention parties, decorations, eggnog, and so forth. Now listen, I'm not quarreling with anybody about how you celebrate Christmas. There's a ritual that I have. Uh, it starts Thanksgiving night with watching The Wizard of Oz. And then I move to Frosty the Snowman and Rudolph and Yukon Cornelius. I don't miss Charlie Brown's Christmas or How the Grinch Stole Christmas. I love eggnog, Spike, or not. Uh, I, I like dressing in turkey and all of the trimmings. But while I have you in these pews, it is my responsibility to share with you the real reason for the season. Beginning today and for the next few Sunday mornings, I would like to take the focus off fat men in red suits, off pretty packages under decorated trees, off Rudolph and Frosty and the Grinch and the Hallmark Channel and Lifetime movie Christmas specials that I have to watch and place our emphasis squarely where I believe it needs to be. Genesis chapter 3 may seem like a strange place from which to begin a series of Christmas sermons. Yet here in the midst of man's greatest tragedy is the revelation of man's greatest hope. In this sad saga of sin, judgment, and death, we meet the saving message of the gospel 
and the person of the Lamb of God for the first time. Adam and Eve, after God had created the world, he created Adam and then he caused the deep sleep to fall upon Adam and took out of his side a rib and made woe man. And Adam saw her and called her flesh of my flesh and bone of my bone. They lived in this idyllic paradise called the Garden of Eden. Everything they wanted was in that garden. There was no restriction. There was no prohibition except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Adam and Eve enjoyed fellowship with God on a daily basis. God himself came to the garden and walked among them, talked with them in the cool of the day. But one day, the devil, Satan, came slithering into the garden. Eve should have known something was up with a snake talking. But, but that's a sermon for another time. The devil comes in and says to her by throwing shade on the word of God, did God say or did Adam say you should not eat from this tree? And Eve, of course, who was not there when instructions were given, misquoted God. She said, God said we shall not eat of it nor touch it. For in that day we shall surely die. The devil says you're not going to die. God is holding something back from you. God is keeping something from you. He knows that the day you eat, your eyes will become open and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. Eve was tempted to eat. She ate of the fruit and nothing happened. And the reason nothing happened was because Eve was not given instruction. But Adam came and saw that the, that the fruit was good for food and his wife offered it to him. He took it and ate it and in that instant everything changed. Order became chaos. Everything that they had known instantly became something totally foreign and ruined because their eyes were open, but now they did not see themselves as God saw them. They were now naked and ashamed. They sewed fig leaves together, inadequate coverings to hide their nakedness. And God came walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And God said, Adam, where are you? Now, brothers and sisters, God knows where Adam is. Uh, God is not asking Adam for any information. God is not asking Adam, where are you in terms of your geographical location? Adam, where are you in terms of your spiritual condition? Because the last time I was here, you showed up. The last time I came to meet you, you came out to meet me. Where are you now in terms of your spiritual relationship? Adam says, I'm hiding because we're naked. Now, they've been naked in the garden since they were created. And they were not 
ashamed. But their eyes are open because they have gotten knowledge illegitimately. And in their illegitimate acquisition of knowledge, they know now that they are in a fallen condition. God said, what have you done? And then the blame game starts. That woman you gave me. Hadn't it been for you giving me her? And then he goes to Eve and Eve said, the devil made me do it. Shifting the blame. And God doesn't ask Satan anything. He just pronounces judgment. And he starts with the tempter himself. Because you've done this, you are the most hated of all animals that have ever been created among the wild beasts. I don't know anybody but somebody who's not going to have good sense who likes a snake. Everybody who got good sense hates snakes. God punishes him by making him the most hated animal among the wild beasts and you will crawl on your belly and eat dust for the rest of your days. But here is God's judgment on him. I will put enmity between you and the woman. Between your seed and her seed. He shall crush your head and you will bruise his heel. Now brothers and sisters, that, 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 that word right in the middle of the tragedy of sin is a glimmer of grace and hope. Verse 15 shines out of this darkness like a great floodlight illuminating the, the amazing grace of God. Called in the Latin the, the Proto-Evangelium, the first gospel, we see the first stitch in the scarlet thread of redemption that courses its way from Genesis all the way to Revelation. This precious verse gives us the very first promise regarding the coming of the Lamb of God. I want you to look with me at the personality of the Lamb. The scripture says the seed of the woman. The seed of the woman. By God's own design, the seed is provided by the male members of every species. Women do not have seed. The seed is impregnated in the woman. But here the Bible says the seed of the woman. This is the first prophecy of the virgin birth when we are told that the woman will produce an offspring without the aid of a man. 700 years before his birth, Isaiah prophesied, therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, 
a virgin shall conceive and after she conceives she shall bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. This is important brothers and sisters because the Bible teaches that sin and the sin nature is only handed down through the seed of the man. The sin and the sin nature is only handed down by the seed of the man. Romans chapter 5 and verse 12 says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Since Jesus came into the world without a human father, he was born without the taint of sin. What the early church father Augustine named non posse peccari. He was unable to sin. He was born pure and sinless. Pure and sinless alone qualifies him to die for the sins of humanity. The lamb was promised to come and deal Satan a fatal blow. He came to bruise the head of the serpent, to defeat evil at its core. He was not coming to show us seven steps to a better life. He was not coming to show us how to live our best life now. He was not coming to improve our environment or to upgrade our social standing. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 14 says, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, and that's the devil himself. That's the personality of the Lamb promised. But I want you to see with me secondly the purpose of the lamb promised. The Bible says, I will put enmity between your seed and her seed. Enmity in the text refers to the hatred, not that we have of snakes, but the hatred that Satan possesses towards God and all that God represents. Uh, the fight is not between you and the devil or me and the devil. We are pawns in the devil's hand in this chess match between him and God. Brothers and sisters, his, his hatred for God caused them to attack Adam and Eve in the garden and to tempt them to sin. Satan desires nothing less than the overthrow of the Lord and his kingdom. But Jesus was promised to come and take up the fight that Adam lost in the Garden of Eden. I said Jesus came to take up the fight that Adam lost in the Garden of Eden. That's going to make sense to you in a minute. Because the word bruise has the idea of crushing or 
striking a fatal blow. The serpent will strike the heel of the coming lamb, but the lamb will crush the head of the serpent. The heel is not a fatal wound. You can walk with a bruised heel, but you can't make it with a crushed head. And so Jesus will come to take up the fight that Adam lost in the Garden of Eden. Um, let me see if I can make that make sense. The Bible calls Jesus our elder brother. And somebody ought to help me preach a minute by testifying with me about the advantages of having some older siblings. I need two or three witnesses to help me here who's got some older siblings that uh, when, the, when, the, when the fight gets started, they just got to know who your family is. I need two or three more believers here. It uh, ain't nobody living or dead could talk more smack than me. I was bad. I wouldn't take nothing from nobody if they could catch me. Because if I got to my house, my brothers were there. My older sisters were there. I wish I had one or two more witnesses. Even if, even if they wanted to jump on me, they said, no, that's Bobby's brother. That's Carl's brother. Because not only were they afraid to jump on me because of my brothers, they knew my brother's reputation. And when you have an elder brother, not just who's older than you, but got a reputation, he'll fight your battles. If Jesus is your elder brother, your enemies know to leave you alone because not only is Jesus older than you, he got a reputation. He's fought many battles and he's never lost one and Jehovah is his name. That's why believers this morning can shout and say, fret not yourself because of evildoing. Neither be envious against the workers of iniquity. They shall soon be cut off like grass and wither like the green herb. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked, even my enemies, came upon me to eat up my flesh, just before they got to me, my elder brother stood up. They stumbled and they fell. The Lord is your protector. The Lord is the shade upon your right hand. The sun shall not smite you by day, nor the moon by night. I need somebody here who knows that God will put a fence around you. God will put a shield around you. God will make your enemy back up. Well, 
He'll tell your enemies you better recognize. You don't know who I am. I don't know what you heard at the turkey leg hut. But the Lord is my light. And my salvation. He'll fight my battles. Have I got a witness here? He'll fight your battles. He'll stand up right next to you. And then if the battle get too hard, he'll get right in front of you. So that the devil himself can't do you no harm. Yeah. That's the personality. That's the purpose of his coming. But as I hurry, I want you to see a portrait of him in the text. After God pronounces judgment, after God pronounces judgment on Adam, Eve, and the devil, he does something that is absolutely remarkable. He slays an animal and uses its skin to make garments to cover Adam and Eve's nakedness which the human couple could only produce inadequate loincloths. While they could only produce inadequate loincloths, God provided them with proper clothes. Not so much as an act of grace as often asserted, but as a reminder of their sinfulness. Just as man may not enjoy a direct vision of God, so God should not be approached by man unclothed. How dare you come in God's presence unclothed? How arrogant of you. How insolent of you to come in the presence of God in the wedding feast without a wedding garment. In this graphic scene of death, there's a wonderful portrait of the coming lamb. Adam and Eve see blood for the first time. And they realize that the wages of sin is death. This animal is a portrait of sacrifice. Because when Adam and Eve sinned, they were no longer worthy to even be in God's presence. As a matter of fact, God expels them. He drives them out of the garden so that they would not come back in and eat of the tree of life and live forever in their sins. And to keep them out, of the garden he positions an angel with a flaming sword to guard the entrance to the garden that they would not go back to eat of the tree of life they have knowledge now of good and evil but God said lest they go back he blocks their entrance so that they cannot go back that way They cannot go back to God that way. 
They cannot go back to God that way. But God provides another way. Brothers and sisters, hear me. It's not only a portrait of sacrifice, but it's a portrait of sufficiency. With the inadequate covering of fig leaves, God killed an innocent animal to show them and us that the works of the flesh can never atone for sin or cover sin. It requires the death of the innocent in the place of the guilty. Sin is taken away only through the shedding of blood. Hebrews says without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. And so not only was, was the lamb sacrificed, but the lamb had to be sufficient. And the sufficiency of the lamb was that it was an innocent lamb's blood shed for guilty Adam and Eve. Here, as I hurry, is the portrait for you and I. We try everything we can to cover over our blemishes. We do everything we know how to cover over, to paste over our blemishes. As a matter of fact, sisters, you can help me with this. Um, there's something called foundation. I don't know what it is. I, I, just, I just heard about it. I, I, I just see it on the place in the bathroom where I'm trying to brush my teeth. Foundation is, is, is putting something on before you put the other stuff on. And before you know it, you come out of there looking different than when you went in there. All of us in here this morning got some foundation on. And then you put some other stuff on there, some, some mascara and some eyeliner and some lipstick. And, and it's not really stuff that you get from the Mac store. It's covering your lie. Covering your, your, your avarice. Covering your sin of wanting what God forbids. It's the wanton sin of idolatry. It's, it's worshiping things. It's wanting to grab this and to be that. It's wanting likes on Facebook. It's wanting to be seen by people that you don't even know. It's, it's, it's giving to folk who can't give back to you unless you exchange gifts and then if they don't give you one commensurate with what you gave them you all upset Christmas is all messed up because for you you're looking to get something from somebody that's equal to what you gave but the greatest gift we will ever receive we will never be able to give anything in return I want to I want to admonish somebody this morning take off your foundation Take off your makeup because God sees who you are. And the good news is God loves you just like you are. God loves you in your sinful condition. 
God loves you in your state of ungrace. God loves you with no foundation, with no makeup, with no trying to be something for somebody else. Just be yourself. Because God thought enough of you to make you, you. You ain't got to impress nobody. Listen, when you know God loves you, you don't have anything to prove. When you know God is on your side, you don't care who likes you and who does not like you, who's with you and not, who's not with you. If God be for us, who can be against us? I need somebody here with no foundation on this morning. You're not trying to fool nobody. You're not trying to present yourself as anything other than what you are. I need somebody here who knows that if the Lord did not cover you, if the Lord did not protect you, all your skeletons would fall out of the closet right now. If God did not look beyond your faults, you would have to crawl out of this church with me this morning. I need somebody here with some blemishes on your record. You've got some scars on your back. There's some decisions you wish you hadn't made. You wish you could go back and about 20, 30 years and undo some stuff that you did. But God knows what you did. God knows who you are. And he let you live until December the 4th to come here in Lily Grove Church to hear me say, to hear you or hear me tell you that though your sins be like scarlet, they can become white as snow. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray and we have turned everyone to his own way. But God has laid on him the iniquity of us all. I need some more sinners in here this morning who's not trying to fake like you anything else. You know you got some stuff that's messed up. You know there's some thing that's still crooked about you. That's why you come to church every week. That's why you pray and ask God for forgiveness. Because you know God gave you another chance. I didn't say a second chance because I messed up my second chance 40, 50 years ago. But every day, God gives me another chance. Have I got a witness here? If the Lord gave you an unspeakable gift, if the Lord gave you something you can't unwrap from a box, you can't find under a tree, you can't buy at Target or Walmart, you're not going to get it at Amazon, you can't find it at Neiman's or Nordstrom's. He was born in Bethlehem, reared in Nazareth, baptized in the Jordan, performed miracles in a desert place, wept over Jerusalem, prayed in Gethsemane, and one Friday on a hill called Calvary, he died, didn't he die, but uh, 
Sunday morning he got up from the grave with all power in his hand I wish I felt like it this morning I would holler just a little while I wish I had the strength this morning I'd go after it a little harder this morning he died for me he rose for me he's coming back for me is there anybody here I said is there anybody here know this Jesus that I'm talking about you don't mind if I close here do you there's a story in Luke chapter 15 of a boy who left home we call him the prodigal son he took all his father's inheritance and went to a far country and wasted it on riotous living and when everything he had was gone he decided to take a job feeding swine and while he was about to eat slop with hogs he thought about everything going on at his daddy's house he said here I am about to die of hunger and slaves at my daddy's house eating better than I'm eating right now I'm going back home because when he came to his senses he started walking back home and he started rehearsing his speech how many servants have my fathers with food enough and to spare and I'm perishing with hunger I will rise and go to my father and tell him father I'm no longer worthy to be called your son just make me one of your hired servants and while he's on the way home he has no idea his father's been looking for him every day and before he sees the father the father sees him runs down the street falls on his neck and starts kissing that boy he said my son was dead but he's alive again he was lost and he is found the father said go get my ring and put on his finger go get my shoes and put on his feet but I said all that just to get to this the father said go get my robe and put my robe on him so when they see him he looks just like me when they see my boy they don't see his filth he looks just like me when they see my boy they don't see his lies he looks just like me when they see my son they don't see his dirt he looks just like me is there anybody here got on a robe this morning there's some stuff wrong with us but Jesus died for you to put on a robe Jesus died for you to shout this morning thank you Jesus thank you Jesus thank you Jesus thank you Jesus, thank you, Jesus. I'm not what I used to be but I'm not what I'm going to be I got a role you got a role 
Oh, Got a robe. When I get to heaven, I'm going to put on the robe. I'm going to shout. Wait a minute. I misspoke here. I'm not going to wait till I get to heaven to start shouting. When I look back over my life and see where he brought me from, I shout, I shout, shout, shout. He brought me, he kept me, he saved me, he never left me. I know he's alright. I wish I had a little more strength. I'll tell you how good God's been to me. I wish you'd give me about five more minutes. I'll tell you how good God's been to me. There's a whole lot going on in the world, but it's not happening in my house. There's a whole lot happening to other people, but it's not going on in my house. God has smiled on me. God has made a way for me. And I'm not going to wait till the battle is over. I'm going to go ahead and shout right now because I know who Jesus is he's a rock in a weary land he's a shelter in a time of storm he's a friend when you're friendly bread when you're hungry water when you're thirsty y'all know him don't you if he brought you out and you don't mind testifying if he made a way and you don't care who's looking at you if he dried your tears and you don't mind testifying why don't you tell somebody you don't know like i know you can't tell it like i can tell it what the lord I know he's all right.
spite, in spite of all that I've been through, in spite of all that I'm going through, I still have joy. I said, in spite of all I've been through, in spite of all I'm going through, I've got peace that surpasses all understanding. This joy that I have, the world didn't give it. Thank God the world can't take it away. 